Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is David Wang. He is Wilson Sonsini's Chief Innovation Officer, a position he has held since March 2020. Wang's responsibilities include overseeing the law firm's development and implementation of legal technology programs. He previously practiced corporate and securities law for more than a decade. During this episode, we will discuss Wang's transition into his current role in several of his firm's ongoing legal technology initiatives. David, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, David, um, I was hoping you could start by sharing a little bit of background about your legal career prior to you taking on legal technology and innovation-focused roles. Yeah, happy to do that. So um, maybe I'll start even a little bit before that. So I was an entrepreneur in college, you know, and had my own company and then, you know, went to law school. And, you know, during my journey in law school, I kind of discovered um, kind of representing startups and technology companies as something that I was interested in. So after graduation, I um, came out to the West Coast to Silicon Valley uh, at the time with O'Malveny and uh, started kind of representing um, tech companies, and which is something that I've been doing my whole career. And so, you know, through that journey, you know, I was um, joined a couple of other firms, including doing a stand at Davis Polk in Asia, um, focused more on capital markets, and then eventually coming back to the Valley and joining Wilson Sassini quite a number of years ago now. And then, you know, continuing my work in doing corporate and securities law and then kind of shifting focus between early stage and late stage and then coming back to early stage again. And and then, you know, during the course of that, slowly Pete had an interest in what I called the technology of law versus, you know, what I did before, which is the law of technology. Right. And yeah, what sparked that interest in the technology of law? Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, kind of in terms of an exact moment per se, but it definitely was always a part of the way that I thought about the world in that I was always very interested in the how of how things are done and the process and, and the operation of it. You know, just as an example, maybe trivial, even when I was at law school uh, at the journal, you know, I became the administrative editor, you know, of law review rather, you know, I would never, <laughs> I think, have become the um, articles editor, for example, as some people are really kind of interested in those type of things. And so, you know, I was always interested in that. And then just over time, you know, with the interest in technology, company became known for someone who knew a lot about technology and law. And then organically, that interest devolved as you kind of did more and then, you know, found more. And then, you know, over the last few years, there's really been a quite an explosion in this area, as I'm sure the listeners of to your podcast are well aware, and which drove more and more external attention to this field. And, um, and there's just been really exciting things happening in legal technology. And that, you know, seemed like a great direction for my career. So at what point did you formally transition into a role that was focused on legal tech and innovation? So I think the formal transition came 
a f- even a few years, I think it was a few couple of years before I became chief innovation officer. And that the first role I assumed that had a formal responsibility was um, co- Corporate Strategic Innovation Council. And that was the first innovation role formally at the firm, you know, which you know, I kind of made up <laughs> as part of our efforts. And so in, you know, essentially a few years before that, becoming kind of this known expert in the firm and gradually in the field, um, and then taking on more and more of those projects, it organically became a bigger and bigger part of um, my work life. And then I think, you know, the management of the firm, you know, my, my boss, my managing partner, you know, just said, hey, I think we need you to take this on in a more formal way. And so, you know, that role was kind of a hybrid role in that I was still practicing um, in part-time and to implement technology in my practice, but handling, you know, also the innovation projects. But then, you know, very quickly after that took place, you know, and there, you know, we had more successes and more things to do, it became apparent that I needed to take this on full-time, which is when I transitioned to becoming chief innovation officer and then, you know, I needed to kind of grow the department within the firm, which led to hiring more people and growing the team and expanding that effort. Hmm. And if I saw correctly, you're Wilson Sonsini's first um, chief innovation officer. Is that right? Correct. I mean, the our innovation function basically started formally with me becoming corporate strategic innovation officer or counsel, I should say. Gotcha. Now, and if the other thing I saw was, I th- believe you became CIO in March 2020, which, as um, we all know, was a time when the the world was very focused on the spread of COVID, especially spreading across the U.S. I mean, what was it like to step into this role during a time like that? It was interesting timing, but you know, honestly, the impact wasn't that big on me as far as the role transition because. You know, internally, I was already doing the job, if you will, right? And so it was a fairly gradual transition for me over the course of several years. I think the thing that was the most difficult is that um, it made convening impossible, right? And, you know, it's funny. I think the internally, we announced my promotion at our first innovation summit, where we brought, I think it was something like 50 people that were involved in the effort in some way across our national offices, all to our um, San Francisco office for a kind of a summit, including our outside partners and a lot of the people that were working on projects. And there, you know, Doug, our managing partner, announced that I was getting this promotion. And I think that was the last time we all saw each other in person. Um, and then, you know, I'm hoping that we will be able to have our next um, summit in person at some point, but um, we haven't been able to meet in person since, even though, of course, we've been doing, like everyone else, meeting virtually. Yeah, well, at least you got one summit in um, before, you know, um, COVID really struck. So, you know, I do want to get into some specific initiatives you're working on, but of course, this pandemic period has been a time where law firms, big and small, have needed to you know, rapidly adopt tech in ways that they hadn't previously. And I'm just wondering from a broad perspective, you know, how has your firm, you know, adapted on the tech front during COVID-19? You know, I think we have done fairly well. I think that 
before the challenge was um, getting and convincing people that they needed to do things in a new way. I think with the shift suddenly that obviously no one anticipated of remote work, it became a in the different direction of everybody had to do it this way. How do we make sure that they can handle the transition appropriately? But I think you know with several efforts that we had where we already started in terms of our digitization journey, well into it, you know, by the time that you know COVID hit. So I think the transition was smoother in a lot of ways um, for our attorneys, especially in terms of things like you know digital collaboration and task management. Hmm. Okay, great. Now, so we'll turn to some of the initiatives you've been involved with as CIO. One was I saw that your firm and where Kiva Incorporated recently announced the WS1, an automated version of the IPO registration statement known as SEC Form S1. I'm wondering, first off, how was this new tool developed? This was developed in collaboration with Rakiva, which, you know, is a, uh, for those that are not familiar, it's a digital compliance um, and really kind of a f- enterprise uh, resource management slash uh, financial reporting company. And so they handle a significant number of um, public filings for, you know, public companies. And increasingly, they're doing more in terms of, you know, what we call like 33 Act filings to enable companies to do electronic filings as part of uh, either uh, IPO or other capital market offering process. Um, so they've seen kind of explosive growth even before the pandemic. But as you can imagine, if you know folks out there are familiar with the capital markets process, where traditionally, you know, as part of an IPO, you're all kind of gathered in a room together, a tiny room of 20 people huddling over the disclosure registration statement. That's not really happening much these days. Um, and so, you know, digital disclosure process and drafting has, you know, taken off even more. Um, and so it's in the midst of that that we were able to release uh, the WS1, which is a augmented solution that automates a lot of the grunt work that goes into drafting the, the disclosure schedule and enables kind of easier collaboration on that document. And so, you know, we have been working on this, you know, internally in terms of the concept for years. And, you know, we've been able to hook up with Workiva in the last year or so and develop this together on the Workiva platform using Wilson's and Sini's expertise on the legal side. So I, I think that was a really kind of fortuitous outcome that benefited both sides. Right. In any sense of, you know, how much time a WS1 will save clients? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we are currently in, I think we're up to four now. I think when we announced we had two pilots, but we're up to four um, of IPOs in various stages um, of the process. So we're obviously kind of taking careful measure in terms of what the outcome will be in terms of productivity gain. And, you know, frankly, I'll tell you the answer is we don't know at this point, but we know that given the work that we've done in some other areas of automation, that it's probably significant. Like if I had to guess, you know, more than 20% reduction in the time that it's going to take. But in the terms of how it specifically manifests, it's not going to be straightforward, right? And so this goes to, and I think, a key challenge that I'm off, often wrangling with in the innovation process of law. And that, for example, the time savings doesn't always manifest just in terms of 
attorney timekeepers. You're also saving time for the in-house counsel at the client, business stakeholders of the client and the finance team, right? The bankers, the auditors. How do you measure kind of the productivity gains there? And what was it even before? I don't think anybody has a clue except I think intuitively you know that it's thousands and thousands of hours. And then on top of that, the other benefits of a digital process in terms of increased speed, right? And reduced errors and just a better user experience and like more intimate collaboration. How do you measure the benefits of that? You know, because I think people always first go to, well, how much time do you save? And, you know, the answer to me is you're definitely going to save time, but is that the most important or even, you know, kind of the paramount consideration for us is probably not. Well, yeah, I guess you mentioned some of those other areas that are harder to measure. Of course, when you're trying to get clients to sign on to use this product, they'll be asking more typical questions. I mean, how do you get clients to, you know, basically see things a little differently and look at some of those metrics you're talking about? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we haven't uh, had to sell it, quote unquote, to clients much at all. In fact, we every client we've talked to has said, yes, that sounds great, right? And so the clients, I think, are already there. In the, I think the harder sell is actually to uh, legal teams internally, right? And I, here I give a ton of credit to our attorneys at Wilson Sonsini, who are, I think, you know, given that they represent technology companies and kind of that's our focus, are more savvy than your average bear, so to speak. Um, and they've been very enthusiastic about trying to adopt a new technology. But usually it's a change management process to convince internal teams first that it's a good idea. And then once that they're sold on it, the client's already there. And in fact, some of the new ones that we've kind of taken on since the public press release have been driven by clients. Like clients are reaching to, out to us after seeing the press release and saying, I want to use this. Right. Well, David, we'll be back after a short break. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there. Welcome back to my conversation with David Wang, Wilson Sonsini's Chief Innovation Officer. David, I saw a press release called the WS1, the most complex automation project ever tackled by Wilson Sonsini. Why would you say that's the case? Yeah, I think that um, 
you know, legal documents are challenging always, right? And then so I think we are um, known to be a firm that is fairly advanced in terms of our technology development. Um, not surprisingly, you know, we have multiple efforts in terms of document automation that are well known, like 650, our subsidiary, or, you know, like Lexion, our investment in contract lifecycle management and our neuron platform. But with the WS1, you're tackling, you know, the S1. And if you have ever read an S1, they're like hundreds of pages long sometimes, right? And so just imagine the number of permutations and variables that go into that document and the very intricate way that they work with each other. And so I think I did a rough back of the envelope calculation. And uh, within the WS1, we have something like 10 to the power of 98 permutations of this document that can be rendered using our automation. So that's only two digits shy of a Google. And so you can imagine the amount of work and expertise that had to go into it to make sure that, you know, roughly it all comes out in a way that makes sense. Mm. And what type of technology are we talking about that's being used to power the WS1? Well, that it is happening on the Workiva platform. And so, you know, here I would say that, and maybe this is a nerdy nuance, but I'm going to go for it anyway. The thing that is powering the WS1 is not technologically complex as far as the automation. It is legally complex as far as the automation. It is the logic of it. And so you could very much say that it is powered by Wilson Sonsini's expertise in terms of that automation. The power of the technology comes in with Workiva's platform in that it enables functionality to allow people to then collaborate on top of the automated document that's been generated to continue the work on the registration statement. Because I think, and this is a nuance that I think folks that are not intimately familiar with this practice may not pick up on and happy to elaborate on. This is what we call an augmented automation solution, and which is kind of a lot of our automation are like that. It is the attorney is involved throughout this process. It's not like we, you know, spit out an S1 and it's like, oh, you're done, you know, file it, file this with SEC. Is that there is a huge amount of work that goes in to it before you start even collaborating with the client. And that's where the WS1 is picking up the slack and the kind of manual work of inserting the data, making sure all these variables are kind of up to date. And then on top of that, our attorneys are able to spend their time working with the clients on getting the right exact wording, right? And then smithing the document, making sure that it's appropriately customized to their business needs. And that's where they're gonna really add value And so it's not kind of by any means even the majority of the work in terms of what the automation produces, but it is taking away a huge part of it that is not, frankly, as we see it, as value-add as the work that we would do using our attorneys. Yeah, and does that help, you know, get the attorneys on board with a tool like this, knowing that they can now focus on some of the higher-level tasks and less of the grunt work? Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you ask folks internally, I think the most enthusiastic people about these kind of efforts are actually our junior associates. Because, you know, in the battle days, which unfortunately are still here in the majority of cases, they're the ones that are responsible for keeping all of that data in sync and doing that grunt work, right? And so, and as busy as it is right now, it is 
actually for us the busiest we have ever been. And we're literally turning down IPOs, if you can imagine that, because we don't have enough people to staff. Our attorneys are working incredibly hard and anything that we can do to give them more time back to sleep <laughs> and to see their families, uh, I think is uh, very much welcomed by them. Yeah, well, you know, that raises, I guess, one other follow-up about this tool, which is, you know, the demand that's out there for help with IPOs. Is that one reason that um, you wanted to move forward with a tool like this? You know, I, I think we would be moving forward regardless because I think it, it, the, it cuts both ways, right? Because in, you know, fat times as it is now, the, the benefit of automation is that it reduces uh, demand on labor, which is in shortage, um, but then in lean times, when, you know, those come and I think we all know that the fat times won't last forever, then there is pricing pressure, right? And that's where automation comes in and increases productivity efficiency so that you can meet pricing pressure. So I would think that is kind of a all season pursuit for us as a firm. Hmm, I gotcha. David, I want to turn now to another technology product your firm unveiled in recent months, which is Neuron. What type of platform is this new proprietary software? Yeah, happy to talk about Neuron, which is our end-to-end private company platform. And so to pick up on what we talked about with the WS1, Neuron is also a augmented automation solution, right? And so what this platform is intended to do is that it's going to help our early stage private company clients go from incorporation all the way to exit. And by picking up and automating and digitizing all the routine elements of legal work that go along with that. And you know our philosophy there is that we're going to try to automate everything that makes sense to be automated, but nothing that doesn't make sense. So again, coming back to this idea of really giving value to our clients with the time that we spend with them, maximizing the percentage of that time that is being spent on truly valuable attorney advice and insight and kind of legal analysis rather than just churning paper, which is now going to be more and more handled by this digital platform. Hmm. Well, and you raise a broader point there. You know, how are you making those determinations about what to automate and what not to automate? Because it sounds like... um those could be some tough decisions. Yeah, you know, I think it actually ends up to be relatively simple is the wrong word, but I think the dividing line is actually fairly clear because there's an incredible amount of low-hanging fruit that we are all aware of, I think, in many practice areas that is routine and repeatable, right? And so I think the challenge with automation and what we're trying to address with Neuron in particular is um, that, you know, as I like to joke sometimes, like we're not incorporating bowling alleys. Uh, we, our clients all are, we believe, you know, capable of going to IPO and every single one of them has the intention of like raising venture capital or, you know, being acquired, right? And so for that type of legal work, you will have part of this bundle that, you know, is absolutely routine, but almost every single time something comes up in the process, that's a slight variation, right? You might have a slightly unique founder arrangement. You might have a slightly unique investor that's coming from the Middle East or something like that. 
And that's where the automation fails, right? Because it cannot handle those uh, unique situations that are not repeatable. So what Neuron is trying to do is to automate the things up to that point so that in that 80% case, you're not using attorneys to you know handle that work, but that every single time when we get to that 20% remaining customization where you know you it's very hard or even impossible to automate, that's when our attorneys can pick that up seamlessly in the same platform, right, and complete that work versus there are a lot of other solutions out there that are gradually being introduced and you know catching people's attention that's fully automated right for that process and then the challenges that people go through it and actually oh it doesn't handle my case because i have this you know one corner case that's one in a hundred and it doesn't make sense for the software to kind of build that in Hmm, i gotcha now if i saw correctly neuron will have um dedicated modules that will include incorporation capitalization management corporate maintenance and financings is that right correct Great. And David, what type of technology is being used to power Neuron? So Neuron is a proprietary platform. So we are building it ourselves. And so we are uh, taking the approach that we are going to integrate with the wider technology ecosystem when it makes sense in a particular workflow. Because if our clients are already living there, it doesn't make sense for us to kind of take them out of that experience. But anywhere where there's a gap, to solving that problem, which, you know, the philosophy I mentioned earlier of automating everything that should be automated, if there is a gap, then we would do it ourselves. Hmm. Now, what's the response been like from the market to Neuron so far? Yeah, I think we've had an incredible response from the market um, since we launched publicly. And, you know, it is still early days, but, you know, in terms of the clients that have now gone through Neuron, uh, you know, I can't share exact numbers, um, but I can tell you that we're experiencing double-digit growth month to month in terms of the number of clients inbound, and also that for the clients that have gone through it, we are, you know, like, you know, learning from our tech company clients, talking to and listening to their experiences in each and every case, and you know, we are averaging. I think now it's a, something like nine point four. And net promoter score, which means that they're giving us something like 9.4 out of 10 um, on average in terms of how good their experience has been. So we're very confident that, you know, we're going to see further growth in this. And as we roll out additional modules, that is just going to get better and better. And it sounds like from what you described and, you know, even what you were talking about with the WS1, like that tool with Neuron, the attorneys can collaborate closely with clients um, in that system. Is that right? Correct. You know, we have features like integrated chat and notifications, right? So that you can imagine when you're handling a particular matter, you know, there's a lot of this desire, I think, on the part of like modern clients. And, you know, I consider myself an elder millennial, but, you know, I think folks are starting companies at my age or, you know, even younger these days and Gen Z and so forth. And people want to be able to do things themselves digitally, But what we want to achieve is to let them do that, but also protect them and make sure that they are doing it with the benefit of our experience and knowledge, right? To not to waste time to have attorneys do that, but to enable clients to do things themselves, but self-serve in the correct way, right? Because I think, as we all know, there's a, it's very easy. You can go online and literally download 
a document that's like a certificate of incorporation or something. And I have a great story here where um, uh, somebody came to us, a uh, prospective client, and they're like, oh, I uh, did a financing myself because this person was a lawyer and, you know, and sent us a set of documents. And then, you know, we took a look at that and we said, okay, that's great. And then, oh, I think I noticed that you didn't have your filed version of your Delaware certificate of incorporation in this package. Um, can you send that to us? And then he said, what do you mean filed version, right? So he didn't realize that you had to file the certificate with Delaware because it doesn't say that anywhere on that piece of paper. And so he had a quote-unquote completed financing uh, where he issued shares to several investors but never filed a certificate. And in fact, so the whole thing is completely unenforceable and in fact, you know, probably null and void, right? And so that's the kind of situation where we're trying to avoid. We want to enable that to happen, but to not have it happen in a way that is actually incorrect. Fascinating. Well, David, I know we've spoken about a couple of the key technology initiatives um, you have going on. Any closing thoughts you wanted to share with listeners about other upcoming um, Wilson Sonsini technology initiatives they should keep an eye on? Yeah, I think we have a bunch of things out in the market but I think, you know, the one thought that I'll leave with listeners is that we do have a long-term strategy and that's kind of what we're in charge of. I think, you know, gradually over time, you're going to see more and more um, of kind of joint efforts between our various uh, individual portfolios in terms of things that make sense for the client. So recently, for example, you know, we first announced our partnership with Morgan Stanley we announced our, you know, Neuron platform, and then recently we announced the integration of um, Neuron with Morgan Stanley's ShareWorks, right? And so I think you're going to expect more of that, as well as just kind of great individual efforts by all our partners and affiliates. You know, I think for 650, uh, you're going to see um, something very soon from them that's going to be a significant release as they continue their own journey uh, in kind of revolutionizing legal technology. Right. Well, we'll definitely be watching closely. Um, David, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.